Greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to Duck and the Usher, a movie podcast. I'm Fish. I'm Josh. And we got a uh, we got a lot on deck for you today. Oh yes, we do. Um, did you watch anything recently? Before we get into this, um, did you watch anything recently? I did. Uh, I've been watching. I've been on the old uh, Amazon, uh, checking out some of their original content rather than movies this week. I watched. Uh, well. With the exception of Watchmen, I watched that. That's HBO. Um, but the Man in the High Castle, I got into pretty good the other day, and I ended up just binging the first season, and I started on the second one. It's pretty cool. I dig. I dig it. I watched a movie called Hard Eight. Have you ever seen that movie? It came out in '96. It's with uh, John C. Riley, um, God, uh, uh, Philip Baker Hall. Whoa. Uh, and uh, Gwyneth Paltrow. I think I like. Oh, pa- and, oh, and I forgot. Uh, <clears throat> Philip Seymour Hoffman's in it. Oh wow! It's it's like a gambling movie, but it was really I thought it was gonna be like some kind of fun, happy, cool mm-hmm. gambling type of film. Yeah, nah, man, it was fucking serious. It was weird, like a dramedy, kind of. John C- I know we did a lot of more serious stuff before he before got he got comedy. comedy yeah. Stuff, yeah, it was just uh, it was interesting and very young with Paltrow, like ninety six. So okay, it was interesting. Just a little tidbit there. I also had the opportunity to check out The Mandalorian. Yes, I, uh, for all you viewers out there, if, if listeners, viewers, we're not you know, really viewing us. I don't know if you're staring at the. I've clock had people or say, "Yo, I'm gonna watch your podcast," and I'm like, "You can't, you can't, bro." Um, yeah, no, I got Disney Plus, and uh, I made Zach watch The Mandalorian, and it was, <clears throat> and I didn't fight it. It was really awesome. Yeah, no, it, I think we're recording Friday um, today, yeah. and uh, I think the next episode comes out today. I think it's every Friday. What do you mean next episode? Oh, oh, you they're mean the, the Mandalorian? Yeah, they're releasing episode oh, two, so oh, it's gonna snap. be every Friday. Every I think Friday? they're only they're only releasing like eight. Was the last? Fr- it's a big production. Well, it came on. out Tuesday, and they just let it out, and then they're releasing one this Friday, and then it'll be every every week. Oh, all right. they'll be releasing new ones. That's pretty cool. Our film today: The Adventures of Baron Munchausen, directed by Terry Gilliam, nineteen eighty eight. Crazy film, and uh, this is gonna be. Uh, I'm going to let everybody know that when we walk through this movie, we're not going to get into super, super duper details of, no. of the scenes just because it's a two hour long film. And it's very and busy. There's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot going on. Uh, I mean, people could write a dissertation on this film for like film studies. And yeah. uh, it got 92 percent on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, 69 on a meta meta score. OK. And 7.2 out of 10 on IMDb. All right. Top 10 movies of the year. OK. Hit me. Rain Man. Number one. Okay. This is a. This, this is again. Eighty eight. Yeah. This is eighty eight. This is top ten uh, grossing domestic grossing films. Okay. okay. Rain so, Man. Rain Man is number one. Roger Rabbit. Who framed Roger Rabbit? Excellent. Coming to America. Excellent. Big. Excellent. Twins. I liked it. Crocodile Dundee two. I don't think I've seen it. You ever seen the second? I saw one? the first one. Second one's pretty good. Third one sucks. Yeah. Yeah. There when he goes to L A. Yeah. He goes like L A. Oh something. yeah. He's yeah. like oh, I'm fucking L A. <laughs> um, Die Hard. Oh hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Naked Gun from the files of the police squad. I don't know if that was like three or something like that. Because was the third one called 33 and a third? Yeah, but it's when I looked it up, I was like, is this a different one? Files? I don't even know. Is that still Leslie Nielsen? Or was yeah, it? Okay. I think so. Uh, cocktail with, uh, you know, yeah, now to make a red off. That came in 86, didn't it? It said 88 What? when I looked it up. And then uh, Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice was 88 too? Yeah, I thought that, that was 89. That's Fuck what me. it's telling me. All right. So... Cocktail? I don't know, dude. I feel like hang you on. Can look it up real quick. I gotta, I gotta find out. Can, can you continue with the? Yeah. Game? So, um, 
I don't really know where to go for this while you're looking up. I mean, do you have... Well, uh, uh, what kind of awards did it win? Yeah, there we go. Let's talk about the awards so we don't have to do that later. Because it it, it was notoriously known as being a very troubled production, and despite, like, um, its loss... Yeah, uh, the the budget for this film was $46 million. That was the reported... Reported. Estimate by the end. That wasn't what they started Actually, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So they went way over budget, and in box office, it only made $8 million. So this is considered the... Floppiest of flops when it came out. Um, yeah, that was '88. <laughs> it, yeah, '88. It got uh, nominated. It won some awards, but let's just talk about like the Academy Awards, the American Academy Awards. Um, it was nominated for Best Art Direction, um, but it lost to Batman. Really? Yeah, it lost to Batman for Art Direction, <laughs> which I think this movie no should have won. The art. Yeah. The, the, if you've never seen this film. Again, we've done this before. Turn yeah. off this podcast yeah, right now. Go watch it and uh, then come I, back. <laughs> I own the film, um, but it is available for rent on Amazon. Yes. And I think you have like 48 hours to watch it. So, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty yeah. good. Usually only or, like 24. Oh, what do you mean? Well, with the rental? Yeah, with the rental. Oh, okay. So you get 48 hours. And uh, just it was my first time seeing it. And um, I know. And uh, <laughs> the, the the level, the depth and the scope and the just the minutia of all the detail was just crazy. Every every corner of the screen was filled with something. Yeah, it's Terry. To me, and this is Terry Gilliam at his finest. Right, and I don't know how uh, anyone would consider uh, the, the the design on Batman was cool too. But this just like Batman dwarfs was, it. It's weird because Batman was dark. I mean, it was a noir right, type of thing. Right. And then you have this, which shadows. is just like <clears throat> colors and dark and, and just light and stuff everywhere. There's so many moving pieces. It, it, it's it, it's. If you looked at like some of the old paintings of Baron von Munchausen, yeah. it's like it jumped out of the page. It's onto like it's the shot supposed to like resemble like a Renaissance painting where there's like a shit ton of detail. Yeah, and, and we'll talk activity. about some of the stuff because yeah. he uses us some paintings in the uh, like actually famous paintings oh, and some true. of the stuff that's you know, with the action. True. It was also um, nominated for best costume design, but lost to Henry V. Um, best visual effects. It lost to the Abyss, which I could uh, see yeah, that so I, the Abyss was pretty. Uh, it was pretty technically like computer uh, generated stuff for that. Yeah. Um, and then also, well, not yeah. only just that, but that entire set was a big tank of water. So there, you know, everything just a lot of it was practical. Practical, rather, with, except for that. Except that for the water thing yeah. that came in with the use of CGI. I think that's what it was with the CGI. I'm, I'm sure that tipped the. Uh, yeah, tipped it. Uh, there was one more that I got nominated for, and that was uh, Best Makeup, and it lost to Driving Miss Daisy. Really? I'm I'm okay. a little lost here, like, makeup-wise. It's Driving Miss Daisy. Well, if the makeup... In, well, were they, weren't they trying to age somebody up, an uh, actress? D- uh, I don't know if they... Did they age up? No, they, <clears throat> they, they aged up uh, uh, Morgan Freeman a little bit. It's been a while since I've seen that movie, but... Well, I can see... I'm well, saying makeup-wise, I mean, watching Baron Von... I say Baron Von Munchausen, well, but it's just Baron Munchausen. Sure, yeah, I mean, that's this. part of his name. Yeah, part of his name. But I just think there was more makeup in this movie than on Driving Miss Daisy. There was probably more makeup, but it was intentionally made to look like they were on... Like a in, like in a play in like 18th century play where everything's yeah. very exaggerated and it's, it's heavy but, white but even, powder. But even him, you know, making John Whereas, Neville look old and stuff like true, this. True, yeah, yeah. I get that. But also, um, that was probably more realistic. Uh, it, it did win in 1990 the Italian National Syndicate of Film Journalist Silver Ribbon in three categories of Best Cinematography, Best Costume Design, and Best Production Design. So and they got was, a lot of love in Europe. Yeah, it was nominated for the British Academy Awards. Uh, um, oh, winning three. It won three in the British Academy Awards for Best Costume Design, Makeup, and Production. So it did okay. lose Best Special Effects to Back to the Future Part Two. Oh, wow. So, <clears throat> you know, that's fine. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, as um, Josh got us started there with all those little uh, facts about the movie, 
Terry Gilliam is a director. Um, Terry Gilliam was also, wasn't he part of Monty Python? Yes, he was the only American in Monty Python. Okay. Uh, and he did movies before this, like Time Bandits, Brazil. Um, some of the Monty Python movies, did he do them all, or was it just a couple of them? Um, I think, I don't know if he directed all of them. I know, I mean, he was in every one. He did most of the, like, if you remember watching... He was a screenwriter a lot for He was a screenwriter. Too. He was also the uh, the art artist for everything. Oh, so okay. when you see, like, the foot, like, pfft, squish people. Like this stuff? Yeah, you're, yeah, I have a big money. We'll take a picture of that. I have all a right. big Monty Python poster. That's actually the... Um, that's the Holy Australian Grail. release oh, of snap. the Holy Grail because I like the poster and all the cool stuff. On yeah, it. Um, but yeah, he did most of the art stuff. He did one called Jabberwocky, uh, the Fisher King, which was his movie he did right after this. I forgot he did the Fisher King. Yeah, and that's not really like a well. There's some whimsy to it, but uh, it's not. It's in, a little more grounded. It's, yeah, it's 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 more of a, a real story than that yeah. that fantastic world of Terry Gilliam. I th and he just came out with a new one, the Don Quixote. One. The man who killed Don Quixote. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that was last year. He also did 12 Monkeys, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Let's not forget that. That's a good one. He did The Brothers Grimm, which I never watched. It's it's good. I, th I, th I thought it could have been better as like a series. The Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus, he, which was Heath Ledger's last, last movie. Oh, yeah. yeah. That um, one was a weird one. It was I saw that in theaters. If it, It's very Gilliam-esque. Yeah, very. Um, he did one called Zero Theorem, which um, going back to when we were on the Dark City episode, I met, somebody had likened... Uh, Gilliam's style to that of Dark City um, and I feel like Zero Theorem is probably one of his more darker movies I, n I never really watched it but just judging on the way it looks I, I think I said that it Christoph was very Gilliam Waltz. yeah um, and yeah and that's pretty much it he's, he's got a lot of other writing credits too I think he did as a writer he had uh, Flying Circus and, yep. and everything that was aforementioned actually yeah like they all they all co-wrote I think he helped co-direct um, Holy Grail with Terry Jones okay so the two Terry's kind of switched off. And Speaking on of uh, Time Bandits, Taika Waititi, who did Thor uh, Ragnarok, yep. Jojo Rabbit, and um, some other shit. He's also the uh, the voice of the AG or the IG unit in Mandalorian. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's doing a um, remake of Time Bandits as a series, as a television what, show. Is it coming out like on HBO or something, or is it just uh, in it's the works? In the works. Oh, okay. It's very very early, like pre production, because he just is coming off pr uh, promoting Jojo Rabbit. Well, that's good. I mean, I, I'm going to say this is that you know get some get some of the little people some more acting. Sure. You know, we haven't had a. A thing for that in a while. Oh, Gilliam also had some cameos in a lot of those movies because either he was a main character or just a side character. He had a cameo in Spies Like Us and in Jupiter Ascending. Did you see that one? I did not. I remember uh, the trailer though. It was a weird one. It's the Wachowski uh, sisters. They're they're wild. Is it? I know who those people. <laughs> Our windows are open. What, yeah. That natural. <laughs> it is a very gloomy day in Central Florida. It's been a gloomy day for the past yeah. week. And if, if you can tell that we're not as excited as normal, uh, Fish and I decided to take a break from our, our drinking escapades. That's right. Uh, so I'm on day five. I'm you're on, on day three. I'm on day three of Something no like drink, that. no drink November. So we're gonna try to be as active. <laughs> oh, and I'm all, before we're about to jump into this. Um, I'm I'm getting a new mixer for us. Ooh, fun. Yeah. yeah so yeah. Uh, we're very excited about next that. podcast. You're gonna hear some. Super. We're gonna have some changes. It's gonna be some awesome audio quality. Yeah, I'll say that much. So let's jump into this movie, shall we? Let's shall. Okay. So it opens up, and it says late 18th century, the age of reason, yes. Wednesday. So the day is Wednesday. A Wednesday. A Wednesday. The uh, Ottoman Empire or the Turks are attacking a city. They don't really give the name of the city. There's rubble. There's a 
there's a statue's head's been de- decapitated. Um, it's just everywhere. And uh, there's a little girl, and we find out her name is Sally. And there's a posters all over the place that say uh, Henry, um, Henry Sat and Sons. Oh uh, uh, yeah, and players. And she's scratching out writing daughter instead. Uh, the I think the filming location. It's right away. It's like Bedlam and Cannon Fire. Yeah, like and, like uh, the, the the city's under siege. Yeah, it's under siege. It doesn't give you the name of this European city, but it's the Ottoman Empire that's coming at them. And I think it's supposed to be like the Russo-Turkish War of 1736. Yeah, they're wearing. I think it's in their French, right? The, the I have no Jonathan idea. Price. I mean, he had like a French well, accent, so he was wearing maybe, like a Napoleon. He type was being hat, some so. kind of like aristocrat. Um, on this first day, this is like their first day of shooting, I think. Um, and uh, well, you know, uh, instead of putting all this trivia and stuff towards the end, because yeah, I'm going to intersperse uh, it. Yeah, uh, Mr. Zach is going to be just kind of throughout the movie giving us some. Little nuggets of trivia. Yeah. So according to uh, IMDb, I, I, from there, ripped out of IMDb trivia, on the first day of uh, shooting in Almeria, Spain, Terry only managed to get 24 seconds of footage. Jesus. Uh, in the can. Uh, and he was, because he was hampered by gusting winds and the fact that the costumes sent over from Rome were held up at the airport due to Spanish custom workers being on strike. Uh, he did manage, however, to get 35 seconds the next day. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, but only after the first ten days of filming uh, in Cinecita, uh, Gilliam only had seventeen minutes of footage after the ten days. God damn, that's yeah. why the budget went through the roof. It was rough. Um, and then it cuts to uh, we go into this like theater. There's a bunch of people. The theater is being pounded by you know gun, you know cannon fire, and you kind of see it rumbling. And we see the uh, the players pretty much the the acting troupe, and they are doing a sto- they are doing the story of Baron Munchausen. Baron Munchausen, yeah. And uh, is the guy playing Munchausen the actor also John Neville? No, no, oh, it's a no, different person. No, it's a different person, completely okay. different person. Um, and you know they're they're telling the stories. Things are going wrong during the story like they're not they're not hitting their the stage hands the are, stage are hands sleeping are, no the stage hands are gone so oh. the other actors are having to like you know crank the stuff and and it gives it, you a very millier feels and, and, uh, and it's giving a in that the show they're doing is giving a lot of foreshadowing to the scenes that are going to happen in the movie right because they're reenacting all of they're the reenacting all the original stories Baron stories that were outlandish and, and, and uh fantastical we uh it's a lot we, of really cool we camera see, we see uh we see a shadow of the the og baron uh, ripping down one of the posters. He's like, you know? Yeah, and it kind of mimics real life because the actual Baron like really disliked all the tall tales that were put out about him, even though he had a penchant. Yeah, for telling after dinner stories. Because <laughs> well, it was it, I think it was the thing that he didn't like the stories because he he likes to tell them. No one else should tell them. Right. type of thing. You know, it's all about that ego. Also, for him. here's an interesting detail when you go back to uh, um, when you see the little girl like uh, defacing the, yeah, the yeah the pedestal there. Well, Sally. Sally, yeah, it's Sally changing the caption on the playbill on the equestrian statue. Uh, one of the notices reads, defense of the public, cannibalism. <laughs> the, the public are reminded that the eating of human flesh, <laughs> for whatsoever reason, is against the law and is punishable by death or a fine of 50,000 guineas. Uh, People's Committee Order 398. Now, a guinea, I had to look this up, a guinea is a gold coin. Yeah. Uh, and according to different explanations online um, for what their worth would be adjusted for today, it says that one U.S. dollar is equal to 9,292 guineas as currency. But since they are pure gold, they're worth more as antique collectibles than real currency. And the price of gold today, I believe, is, and I, I tried my best with the math here, 
um, to get it right. So it's a uh, price of gold today is $47.28 20, $47. per gram. Guineas are about 8.3 grams. So if you do the math on that, that's 450,000 grams times what each gram is worth, and it's $19,621,200 American is what you'd have to pay off that fine for cannibalism. <laughs> they don't fucking play around with some cannibalism no, out don't. there. Don't gnaw on your neighbor's foot. Right. Um, also, the, the, there's, a, there's a point where uh, Jonathan Price plays... Uh, did you get his name? Yeah, yeah, I did actually. Yeah. He's got an awesome so if, name. So if you don't know who Jonathan Price is, he was um, he was in more famously for most people would be Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, he was, he was uh, the, the head. The uh, what's her name? Elizabeth uh, Swan's father. He was like a governor or some shit. Yeah, yeah, the governor of the island or whatever. But whatever. you see his face. You the know, the character him. in this movie. His yeah. name is the Right Ordinary Horatio Jackson. Yeah, and so he's kind of like uh, he kind of runs the town. He's in charge of the town. So he's he's trying to come up with like a. a Way to win the battle or do a ceasefire. Yeah, and stuff like that. he's trying to like do everything uh, within reason. Yeah, within reason. And Everything's logical. Yeah, logical. Yeah, logic and, and reason. And I have a little scene that'll talk about the Baron why he's not Ooh, fun. He was about really that. good in Ronan. I liked him in Ronan. Um, and it, there's a small little part in the scene where you where you first see Jonathan Price, uh, the the hero of the of the day, walks in and he's got this big scar on his face and it's a sting. It's a sting from the police. It was it that early in the film? It was yeah. It was oh, no. It was oh, very. Okay. Early. He's he's that's the only time you see him. I don't, I don't even think he says anything. He's just like I don't there. Think so either. Uh, Sting's cameo is only really just the the uh, product of the fact that he was uh, Gilliam's neighbor at yeah. the time. Um, so, and then what happens is the show is going on and the Baron, the OG Baron, Baron, Baron Munchausen, he walks in to the theater and he, he's like, stop all this bullshit, yeah. blah, 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 And, uh, cause they're at this point in time, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. at this point in time, <laughs> uh, the actors are ta- are telling a story of, uh, right. of how he met the, um, the, 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 the Sultan yeah. or the Turks, you know, the Ottoman empire. And he's like, you're doing it wrong. Let and, me tell you. Yeah, let me the, tell you. And I have I have a little clip that of clip? that. Yeah, it's cool. uh, it's kind of him um, uh, setting up uh, the scene for the movie. Here it is. Deluded fools! If you will only do me the courtesy of accepting the word of a gentleman, I will reveal the true cause of this war. After my. After my return from Egypt, I was most warmly welcomed by the Grand Turk, His Highness the Sultan, who knew of my reputation and held me in high esteem. In fact, so delighted was he with my company that he offered me access to his harem. <laughs> One day, the Sultan brought me a bottle of his favorite tokay. Yeah, so, and and I'm going to let you talk in just a minute. Cool. When he says, the brought me the f- favorite bottle of tokay, which I guess is like a wine, correct? You know, of all the things I looked up, I didn't, didn't look, look up what up. I'll look it up while you're talking. I'll look it up. All right, cool. Um, and as the as the actor, like the stage actor is, is playing... Um, the, the sultan as he walks in it fades into like his the past his right. his vision it's like of a flashback the story to his imagination and, of the and story his recount of yeah. the story they were just Talking. telling yeah. yeah so now now we're back in the day and the the baron is nice and young mm-hmm. he's not old and disheveled right and haggard and haggard and then i'll continue <laughs> on once you're done talking about that go ahead so uh the actor playing the role of baron munchausen is john neville uh john neville was actually uh 
he was in his early 60s when he was cast in this movie and even though the movie was a financial failure it led to like a major uptick in acting for him his his career sort of exploded uh, and he got a lot more roles for that. Um, he did a lot of stage acting. He was he was um, mostly not a film actor. He did a lot of TV too, uh, but he preferred theater. And he was a huge Monty Python fan. So this this role he was like readily agreed to to take it. And you can see like his theater um, aptitude like right in the beginning of this of this because he's of the way he talks. Uh, but some of the other movies he was in include. Um, Let's see. He was in uh, Little Women, Dangerous Minds. He was in Dangerous Minds. This is all later in his in his uh, in his career too. Uh, he had a, a role in The Fifth Element. Um, he was the voice of Eternity in the Silver Surfer animated series in '98, and he was, I think, most recognizable for a lot of people as the well manicured man from the X Files. Yeah. Um, and he plays the part, and this is the full name: Hieronymus Carl Frederick Baron von Munchausen. <laughs> um, and uh, and then the movie progresses after I, that. I, I did I did forget something when he um, when he comes into the theater mm-hmm. and he gets on stage, um, the actors that are playing like his friends. Yeah, uh, because he's like old and senile. He thinks those actors are his are his old, companions, his old right? companions. Which yes, the actors who are playing the actors also on stage play the also play yeah. the actual <laughs> companions. Again, you got to see this movie. We're trying to do our best for it. Um, so it goes into uh, the Sultan's thing. Oh, and okay is a sweet wine from the Hungarian region. Oh, okay. Um, and he talks about the uh, the Sultan is, loves bets. Like he he can't yeah. he can't you know do it. So he's he makes a bet with the Sultan that in was it like ten minutes or something like that he can he can get he's, him the something like he can get him a, the finest wine from uh, like uh, Italy, the Empress of wherever. the Empress of somewhere. Yeah, before uh, the end of the day. Before the no, it was like not even before the was end. it? Oh okay. no, yeah, before the end of the day. And uh, he, they made a wager, and the wager was like, he's like, if I lose, um, you can cut my head off. Yeah. And then the Sultan goes, well, if you win, you can, I have a big vault of gold. Um, you can take as much gold as the strongest man yeah. can carry. Yeah. So um, this is where we meet Bertolt. Bertolt, yeah. yeah uh, and that's Bertolt, Eric Idle. And that's Eric Idle, um, which he's been in a bunch of things from Nuns on the Run. He's a prominent member of Monty Python. Uh, Mom and Dad Save the World. He was in Casper. Yeah, he was, one of, he was one of the henchmen in Casper. He played Retgar in the Transformers movie uh, from 86. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that's, that's all I really have yeah, on if him. You know he's Mike Python, yeah, he's, you know Eric Idle. Yeah. And um, he plays Bertolt, who is the fastest man in the world. And around he's his got these massive calves. Yeah, uh, yeah, and around his ankles he has to wear, like, leg irons. because yeah, uh, like a ball, balls and yeah, chains. balls and chains, because if he, if he takes them off, he runs too fast. So balls. He, he, writes, <laughs> he writes a letter... Uh, uh, Baron von M- Baron Munchausen writes a letter uh, to, to him. He goes, "Hey, go get this!" And and I think when he's running, it's he like, like yeah. Oh, he does that like Sonic the Hedgehog yeah. speed up where you hold like, it down and like press going, B. He's like going into the ground, like yeah. and then he shoots off. And while they're waiting, the uh, the Sultan's like, "Let me play you a new opera I've been working on." With the uh, I wrote down, did you write down the name of it? <clears throat> no, not not uh, what, what it's called, but what I think it's called. It looks like I called it the torture organ. Yeah, yeah. So it's an organ, but behind them is like four people, and like prods are poking him as he's playing. So he hears, "Oh, yeah." He's like, "Oh, yeah," and he's singing. There was a na- there was a name of the opera. It was like the tortured <laughs> something something. Uh, I I I was so there was so much happening in this and movie the, at the all times. Time is a big thing in this. Um, there's a uh, there's a uh, what was I gonna say? 
What, what am I thinking of? I'm not the sure. The hourglass. Hourglass. Oh, oh, so yeah. So the yeah, sultan yeah. tips over, and you see a couple hourglasses. Well, he's got a little one. He's too. got a little one. So okay, so it's like the symbolism. Yeah, the symbolism, and and there's a scene later where there's an hourglass also. Oh, um, so fun. the hourglass is slowly running out, and Bertolt has not shown back up. Okay. And so we meet another character, and that is the guy who shoots. Oh, that's uh, Adolphus. Adolphus. Who's the actor who plays Adolphus? That is uh, McCown. I think he's actually one of the writers on the on the movie too. He co oh, nice. he co-wrote this with, um, with a uh, homeboy there. Where did he go? I have it written down somewhere. I'm sorry. Zach right now has McCown. Like, there McCown. it is, Charles McCown. Yeah, I try, I try to keep everything like labeled and and like pinpointed so I can jump right to it because I got quite a few pages. Anyway, uh, Charles McCown. I hope I'm saying that correctly because it's uh, M C K E O W N. He plays the character of Rupert or Adolphus, which is the companion who can see super far and like hit ridiculously uh, accurate targets from like, far distance. Yeah, he's like a super sharpshooter that Sniper. can see super far away. And so he looks through his um, his little eye hole yep. scope and he sees that Bertolt was sleeping. Eyeglass? Yeah. And so he shoots a round off. Bertolt wakes up and makes it. And at this time, the sand is running out. So... <laughs> The Baron is like getting his head getting excited. <laughs> yeah, well, he, he gets what well, he's about to get his head chopped off, right? So oh yeah, well, his, they actually start preparing. Yeah, him. they start preparing him, and the 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 executioner is like blind. He's got like stitches over his eyes. Yeah, he's got stitch shut eyes, which is wild. And they do a little gag where he's like about to cut off his feet, so they gotta like move the guy over. And uh, right, right before the hammer drops or the axe drops, Bertolt, Bertolt shows, shows up. up. With the wine and a, and a nice little letter from the princess and, yeah. and the baron's reading it like hmm, oh, hmm yeah, nice, yeah. you know. And so he gets his toke. Gets his gets his toke, and because he won the bet, uh-huh. uh huh. He uh, he Could gets go get his grip get of his, uh, treasure, get his gold. So it's this. <laughs> once again, the deal was uh, as much gold as the strongest man can carry. Well, mm -hmm. Baron does have a strong man on his companion team, and that is that's uh, Albrecht. Albrecht, who is played by Dennis Winston. Uh, and Dennis Winston has been mainly only in, uh, like, Gilliam's movies. Yeah. I think he had a, a smaller role in... Uh, he was in Nuns on the Run, too. Was he? Yeah. Maybe in a, a small role. But mostly Gilliam stuff, Brazil, Time Bandits, and Man on the Run. Yeah, he's a, he's a very... He's a, he's very, a large, large gentleman. Large, large black gentleman. Just a very robust man. I think and he's British, too. So you hear him... His, his voice doesn't match his... Uh, his, his physique. His size. Yeah, whatsoever. <laughs> um, so they, they load up, like, the all the gold on him. Like, he takes out the entire vault. And then I think... Uh, I think they tip the key guy, like, one gold piece. Yeah. And so the Sultan finds out they took all the gold. And he is He's like, wait a minute. Pissed. So this is kind of how you know why the war is starting. Or at least for the Baron story. Uh, and, also here, I'm yeah. sorry, the... Uh, oh, wait, we're not there yet. Go, keep, keep okay. going, keep going. And uh, they're, they're, and, uh, they're taking the gold out. And the, the Baron, his horse comes into the uh, mm -hmm. the thing. His horse's name is... Uh, the horse's name is Bucephalus. Bucephalus, and, and that's a famous horse name. It's a famous horse name because it was the name of Alexander the Great's horse. Gotcha. A uh, big white horse, and he jumps out the window of like a three, like yeah. a ten-story building, and just lands perfectly and on the ground. That's also like a director's um, trademark because he does a lot of like bust throughs. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so they uh, the Ottomans try to attack him. Then uh, does what's his face blow him down? Yeah, this is when you see like yeah, all we, of his other companions have these crazy fantastical abilities yeah, as well. There's one more companion. Uh, yeah, that that companion Gustavus. Is, is Gustavus, Gustavus, played by Jack Purvis. 
Uh, which um, he was in Time Bandits, right? Yeah, Jack Purvis is also pretty He's been much in a bunch of stuff. Only, well... But he was in Star Wars. He play, I think he played Oh, that's Ewok true. That's true. He, he was one of the only actors, uh, well, I think, maybe at the time, and probably still, that has been in all three of the original trilogy Star Wars movies um, as a different character each time. Oh, wow. He was the uh, the Ugnaught. Uh, captain in Empire Strikes Back, the little dude uh, who's like, and then moving, oh, okay. moving uh, Luke into the or Han into the fucking uh, the carbonite. Carbonite, yeah. Uh, he was an Ewok for sure, and he was a Jawa in the very first one in '77. Oh, that's badass. Yeah, uh, he rad. looks really familiar. Especially if you've seen Time Bandits, you'd know the guy yeah. instantly. And they escape the Empire, and then the story cuts because uh, the theater, while Baron's telling the story, is being uh, hit by cannon fire. Right, so it breaks the uh, the story from everyone's concentration because he's you know he's yeah. recounting it, and it jumps it just back jumps into right the, back into the original re- world, into reality, and uh, the everyone's just kind of ah fleeing, and yeah. he goes backstage and uh, walks away, and the little girl. Uh, Sally follows him, and he's kind of on the ground because he's pretty. He got pinned by some of the falling debris. A little bit, like yeah, 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 like some rocks were on him. (laughs) And she sees this. this I think the whole place just pretty much bails at this point. They're like, "Get the fire!" And there's there's a reoccurring um, theme in this, and that's death. Yeah, and you actually see the embodiment of of death, death, like hovering over the Baron because he's sort of like kind of nihilistic at this point and giving up on shit. He's like, just let me die. Yeah, and I, it, it, I also feel like it's kind of a Peter Pan type of thing because uh, I'm going to play the scene in mean? a minute. That, let me play the scene and then okay, I'll talk right, about it. Okay, right. so he's on the ground. Uh, the, Sally sees this death thing trying to take like his soul out of his mouth and she throws a candelabra at him and it bursts into flames and she realizes that she kind of just threw it like a, at a curtain that looks like death. Right. It's a little weird, but uh, she goes Death up, moves in and out of the reality of the exactly, fabric of this shit yeah. pretty easily. And uh, she goes up to talk to him while he's laying there, and this is kind of a little minute clip. So that's a death, kind of. Am I dead? Oh, no. She looks like an angel. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. Lost. <laughs> Who are you really? Oh. Charles isn't real. He's only in store. Go away. I'm trying to die. Why? Because I'm tired of the world. And the world is evidently tired of me. But why? Why? Why, why, why? Because it's all logic and reason now. Science. Yeah, it's it's really like a kind of a indictment on like people's when they get older they lose their imagination. Exactly, and that's what I was thinking. The, the, I'm a huge Peter Pan fan. Like I know right. fucking almost everything about right. the stories and the backstory of that. Okay. And the reason I say it is that it, it seems like the minute people stop believing in these stories is when he's like, "Ah, fuck it, I just want to die." Right. But the it, later on in that scene, she's like, "Well, I want to hear these stories. I want to do that," and it kind of perks him up a little yeah. bit. And as he tells the stories, um, I think more explosions start rattling the damn building. Yeah, yeah, and the and yeah. it's ruining her ability to hear the story. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and so um, they kind of escape out of there, and, and um, Sally runs out uh, to the wall and starts screaming at the Turkish soldiers, the Ottomans, to to fucking stop it, like a kid would, like quit it, and everything. Oh, we I think we, we mentioned this actress is Sally Salt is uh, yeah. Sarah Polly. 
Uh, Sarah Pauly uh, is actually awesome. I, I didn't really ever know who she was until I watched uh, 2004's Dawn of the Dead remake. Mm -hmm. She's sort of like the, the main person in the movie. The movie starts with her, and she escapes from her fucking zombie husband and yeah. ends up at the mall. Anyway, she's really great. She was in that. She was also in a movie called Go, which was pretty well, uh, like kind of like a cult hit in its own right back in like 98. Uh, and now she directs movies of her own. And I think the the one that I can recall is called Take This Waltz. It's a uh, romantic movie with Michelle Williams and Seth Rogen. Oh, nice. I've yeah. never seen that. I haven't either, but I've skimmed over it, like, you know, reading about her. Anyway, carry on. Yeah, so Sally runs up to, like, the, the wall of the city and starts yelling at the, the Ottomans to stop, stop doing this. You're, you're, you're hurting everybody. I want to do this. Yeah. And the Baron follows her. And we the, the town is not firing back. And the they, Baron's like, "Hey boys, why don't you start? Yeah, why, don't why, don't you, you, why don't you start firing back?" And they're like, "It's, it's Wednesday. Wednesday." So I guess Wednesday <laughs> is like they don't fight day or something. Yeah, and I never so, really discovered if that was based on any kind of like I don't know if maybe it's part of the story or, or something or like religion, that. Religion, or I have no idea. This is probably the most famous scene of the movie. And yeah, there are there are paintings and stories about uh, the Baron Munchausen. It's a very this famous particular legend. This particular legend. Yeah. He throws a uh, cannonball into one of the cannons, and it goes off, and he's holding onto the cannonball, and he's flying through the air yeah just holding on to it and it's a great scene it's, it's pretty cool and and he, he flies over and he's like actually heading towards like the the the, the ottomans and the ottomans yeah, yeah we're the ottomans earnest thing there earnest callback so he's he flies over and then he's about to land but another another uh cannonball passes he's coming him, at him and he grabs so he onto switches. it he just switches and flies back and he's like riding it like a horse and uh, he like jumps off of it and like and just and holds like, out his coattails yeah, and just floats back down like Mary Poppins fucking style and <laughs> and lands right back next to Sally and she's like say what wasn't uh, was this when like death like showed up in in the sky on his way back oh yeah on his way back she's got a gnarly uh, shriek yeah and death like tries to like uh, hit him with a scythe it, it, yeah and, and then oh that's why he jumps off right yeah like, like, he like ducks he's like ha you know because he's back in his story he's yeah. like he feels vigorous and yeah. you know we've got to do something about and this it, and he lands mm -hmm. and he kind of starts to look a little younger this yeah is that's when right because when he gets back into his element he starts to de-age yeah right and uh is because he's just telling the story and when you tell the story you're telling about your past self exactly but so boom you're younger don't ruin the end yet uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and she, 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 and the Baron go back to the theater, and she's trying to explain it to her dad and all these players what happened. And uh, the Baron's like, "You're full of shit, young child." And she runs off, and they're like, "Why'd you have to do that?" Yeah. And he's like, "Well, I didn't fly for miles. I flew for maybe like 1.2 miles." And yeah. It, she's like, "You flew for miles and miles." And yeah. he's like, "You're lying. You're lying." That was only about a mile and a half. <laughs> yeah. He says like after she runs away. He's so matter of fact while also being completely crazy. like. Tall tale out like, of this world. Yeah, and he's like, "You didn't get the story correct." And um, he comes up. It, it, With, it, like a couple of women come up and talk. Yeah, to he him. loves the ladies. There's a woman there. I think it's part of that uh, trio there. Well, obviously it's Uma Thurman. Uma Thurman. You see her is very young. There's a woman named Allison Stedman. Mm -hmm. I didn't write everything about her down, but Gilliam Gilliam did later express uh, regret at not using her more, more because she's, she's such a, a well celebrated actress. Yeah. Actress, yeah. Uh, also, interestingly, about Uma Thurman, this was her first acting job, although it, it because of the inordinate production delays, it wasn't her debut. Um, and when I was looking at 
IMDb for which credits that she's that she's given came first. Um, it has Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind, that Miyazaki movie from '84. She which, did like a voice or something. She did the, okay. like the American version voice, but that's when the movie came out, and probably not when she recorded her part. Oh yeah, definitely. because it had original voice actors over there. So I don't think that's the re- her real debut. I think it's the one from '87, which is called Kiss Daddy Goodnight. That's probably what it is. Probably is, yeah. Um, but this was her first acting job, though. She like was working on, screen, on this before, yeah. and she's super young and super hot. Like, I mean, it's Smoking. Uma Thurman. Smoke show, bro. Um, so he's talking to the ladies, and every time he sees a lady, he he pulls a rose out of his coat, and this is like a running theme throughout the entire film. This, he's always got these like these like fake roses that he just hands women. Every yeah. woman he sees, every that he, woman that he takes a shine yeah. to. He gives oh, them a- beautiful ladies, beautiful ladies, and he comes up with an idea. He's like, I know how we can stop the. Uh, how we can stop everybody. I'll find my companions and mm-hmm. we'll come back and we'll stop the Ottomans. And they're like, you'll never get out of the city. If you get out of the city, you know, like they're, they're going to, it's weird. It's like, if you go out of the city, they're going to shoot you. Yeah. If you do something wrong, they throw you out of the city. Right. That was something they talked about. It was like this catch 22. Like, yeah. say what, you know? Yeah. And, uh, so he goes, ladies, I need your knickers. Take, right. what can we do for you? Take your knickers off. Yeah. Yeah. Take off your knickers. Take off your knickers. And, uh, I wrote, Underwear balloon because knickers is hard to say for Americans. <laughs> yes, it can. And you gotta have perfect diction, otherwise we have pretty uh, good diction. <laughs> yeah. I mean, anyway, uh, got to enunciate, enunciate. So, so uh, yeah, as you ahead. also see here, after they they make this big underwear balloon, uh, it's this like very, you know, like great powerful Oz kind of balloon that lifts up this pirate ship. Um, and you actually you have to you see the dog a couple of times here. Yeah, he he does have a pet dog in the stories too. The dog's uh, name is uh, Argos, which was the name of Odysseus's dog in the Odyssey as well. Uh, and the Baron orders Argos to stay when he leaves for his big adventure, and Argos is then there to greet the Baron when he returns, <laughs> uh, just as uh, Odysseus's dog did. And uh, while they're they're heating up the the hot air balloon and stuff like that. Uh, they can't find Sally for some reason, but, you know, he's got to go. And the the soldiers of the city are like, get him, get him down, arrest that man. And he's like, got to go. And Jonathan Price is screaming and all yeah. that jazz. And he's like, got to go. So ratio. <laughs> so he flies out. And once he's above the city, he's like trying to go a little higher. So he's dumping sandbags. And when he dumps yep. one of the bags, Sally it's falls Sally. out of it. <laughs> and she, she gets, lands on the anchor. Yeah, right? she lands on the anchor of like, because it's attached. Almost fucking kills The hot her. air balloon's attached to the uh, the ship from the theater. Uh-huh. Like the fake pirate. Like the oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're yeah. Doing. And uh, she ends up going with him, you know. And uh, this is interesting too. Yeah. Like Sarah Pauli's experience on this film was, not, I heard it was not very good. Not very good. She was nine years old at the time, and she did not enjoy making this film. She recalls uh, the experience as, as being very dramatic or traumatic, rather. Uh, and she says, "Quote: uh, It definitely left me with a few scars. Uh, it was just so dangerous. There were so many explosions going off all around me, which is traumatic to a kid, whether dangerous or not. And being in freezing water." For long periods of time, working endless hours, it was grueling and unsafe. <laughs> yeah, no. Those are her words as an adult. I, well, she's pretty much like the, the second lead character in this. Yeah. I mean, she's in almost every scene. And what's crazy, this is after um, that incident in the Twilight Zone in 83, mm. where those two children met an unfortunate end. Yeah. And so that changed, like, uh, child, like, acting Labor laws, laws yeah, and the labor acting, laws. Yeah, well. And so it, it's it, having... It's funny to hear that from her if she if she wasn't supposed to be 
maybe you know, she, acting that I much. Know. I mean, I think maybe Terry Gilliam was doing it correctly, but you know, for she a still nine, didn't like it. Yeah, yeah, for, for a nine-year-old, it's just you know, that's true. And he's a he's a pretty he's a wacky dude. That's true. So, yeah, yeah, he probably okay. asked a lot of her while she was working. Um, she decides to stay with him, and he, again, he's starting to look younger and. Uh, I was like floating out over the siege. Yeah, well, there's the, yeah, they're floating over the. I thought you said sea. The, yeah, the siege, Not, well, like that, the war, the battle, next, the battle. Yeah, yeah. that's a really cool shot too because it's like a like a crane shot or something like over the wall and then over all of these soldiers and it's still just so like more madness, just chaos, just activity everywhere. Yeah, it, it something goes right going on over all like the time. a siege tower and then it starts it's, to get quiet. It's so awesome. And uh, she asks, "Where are we going?" And he says, "The moon." And we're going to the moon. <laughs> yeah. And uh, oh, we get that big like wide shot that of them wide shot of them. in the sky. Yes, yeah, so it looks great. A lot of these were any. I'm sure they use some miniatures on this. Yeah, huh? no, I mean that's what I think Terry Gilliam is is best at is doing that that artwork that like uh, that backdrop. Kind Ooh, of stuff. I got a lot of cool stuff about this scene coming up that yeah. uh, he really like took you know some uh, in, ingenious steps. Some oh, let me. To, I got a clip for this real quick. Um, he talks about going to the moon uh, with her, and this is a little uh, little thing about uh, the moon. So the reason he's going to the moon, he is that he left Bertolt. Yeah, there, um, the the Eric Idle character, the fast guy, Bertolt. Yeah. Okay, gotta go. And him. here's a little scene where he kind of describes the Moon King and stuff like that. While their bodies engage in more bodily activities. Trouble is, their heads and bodies don't always see eye to eye. (laughs) Yeah, I. When we actually get to what he was just describing, it's bizarre. It is. There's there's a lot of innuendo. Like, it's a lot of like moaning and farts and. <laughs> uh, that, well, my, my my next little scene is a uh, minute and thirteen, and it is uh, okay. It is the person we're about to talk about. Okay, uh, talk. So with, there's like a thunderstorm while they're going through, and uh, then uh, are you yeah. going to talk about this? Do you want oh no, to go that? ahead, go okay. ahead. So there's a thunderstorm, and then they're in the air, but then they're floating through the sea, and you see it looks like you see stars, and then mm-hmm. you realize they're not in the sea; they're floating through. Space, like, yeah, like the stars, and then it it, then it morphs into, into like the sand of and the surface of the moon, the right? surface of the moon, and they're sailing through the surface of the moon. It just it's, it's so a lot f- like it's fucking it's so fl- fluid, it's flawless. I know it's awesome because you get for eighty eight like space oh and then God. ocean and then sand and then moon, uh, and it was all one like fluid shot yeah. too. It just it just melts right into it. It's, and it's awesome. Yeah. It, uh, uh, right before that, too, uh, Death did show up again and was chasing him through a thunderstorm. Oh, yeah. She goes, and then yeah. fucking takes off. I don't think they don't see Death, though, right? I thought, well, we get a glimpse. We, we get, get a, a glimpse. glimpse. But I'm saying that the, the, char- the characters don't see him. I don't know. Yeah. It's it's there. Either way, Death, they is, can hear it. death is everywhere. Um, and I, I it's always. inevitable. I even wrote down, like, how did they achieve the, that shot uh, that we just talked about? And it's crazy. Uh, you even see, like, once they get to the surface of the moon, you even see they, like, put in. Like a statue face on the moon, which is supposed to be like the face on the moon, which yeah. is a popular. And it, it looks photo. very Greek. Yeah, it's it's like stone or Italian. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks like you know those old 
statues of in, in antiquity. Uh, I even wrote down like Sea of Tranquility because like before they used to think the dark spots on the moon were oceans. Yeah, and I'm like, come on, this is like too cool. Uh, and then you get like this really sweet moon city uh, that are clearly like backdrops and like boards like very Peleumish. Uh, yeah, it's and M- it, Millierish or something. Yeah, very yeah, like a very Millier because uh, George Millier did was the first person to ever Love film Voyage a, la Lune or whatever yeah, was. Uh, well, he, he was also the first person to ever film a Munchausen movie. Oh, true. Yeah, 1911, he, right? 1911. He did like a little short film about Munchausen. That's great. They, uh, the, yeah, they're sailing through the, uh, the, the sea of cheese pretty much, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that uh, they're going through and yeah, there's like this small town. It's just like cardboard, like just cutouts and, yeah. and you hear like, yay, clapping and all this stuff. And the Baron's like, oh, thank you. Thank you. Something thank interesting you. About, about the, the cutouts, because there was supposed to be a moon city uh, built at Pinewood. Um, but there, uh, since there was like no money left to do this, he, Gilliam, had to do that. he took the sketches of the designs and then stuck them to boards. <laughs> and so the 2D buildings were then moved backward and forward and left to right. And the result is bizarre and effective. And I think that's it works. see as soon as they come in. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, that works great. It's a, it's super effective. And then the boat like hits one of the, uh, the cardboard things and it just stops. And then it like kind of yeah. closes. <laughs> it closes in on four sides. And then we meet the Lunar King. Yes. The Moon King. Who is played by... This is Robin Williams. Robin Williams. Now, uh, a f- funny thing about this is, is Robin Williams, the, they were pretty... Cl- it was pretty close to wrapping up the movie when he flew out to do it. Mm-hmm. Did he do it in like one day? He, I think so, he did, yeah. He was a last minute uh, after budget, after the budget ran out, a last minute uh, um, casting. And he also performed it uncredited and unpaid. Yeah, so he did it uncredited because he was unpaid. And, and he did it, uh, he went straight into doing the scene after getting off a transatlantic flight. Yeah. And, and his, you can see, like, his mania. Uh, he's he's pretty... Uh, he's out there. He's, he's smuggled in he's some, some Columbia marching powder. And he, like. he played... Okay, so he's the king of the moon, and, he, and he's he's actually credited as Ray D. Tuto. Which is, the, which is his name, the, which the moon king's name. Which is also the moon king's name, Ray D. Tuto, yeah. which is the angel, English transliteration of the the Italian phrase re di tutto, which means king of everything, which is also how he introduces himself to the Baron. And that's what I'm going to show you right now. This is kind of a little bit after he introduces, but you'll kind of get the gist of it. And here's the moon king. I tell you that and all you can say is, ah, what are you, blind? Baron, let me explain it to you. Since you were last here, I, that is my head, that which is left of me, where the brilliant and important parts are located, is now ruling and governing the known universe. And that which I don't know, I create. I just created spring. But seriously, without me, there would be nothing, not even you. Cogito ergo es. I think, therefore you is. Your old friend's a lunatic. So it would seem. Certainly fallen prey to delusions of grandeur. Being in tune with every molecule in the universe requires a great deal of concentration. That is why having you on the loose, Baron, does not help. You see, your little stories are somewhat of a distraction to me. You are like a mosquito in the Taj Mahal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I must inform you, my lead. Without my adventures, you wouldn't be here. <laughs> so I am now part of your adventures. 
Yeah. Hmm. So and he just it, it's it's classic Robin Williams where he yeah. just goes on and on and does a great job. But his head is detached, so he's got like this head. He's painted white, and their hair. I like their hair, especially their like um their, columns, right? His are columns, and then the Moon Queen. They look like like the, string instruments. Yeah, like the, the the heads of like string instruments, like okay. cellos or violins. Yeah. Um. So his head is flowing. There's like this big disc. It kind of reminds me of remember Wild Wild West the movie. Oh with yeah. The, the, with those the, the things the that things we, yeah the discs with the, the discs yeah so this is a big metal thing and he also talks about like he's like you know where's your body he's like oh that disgusting thing because yeah. you know again they don't like each other and all the body wants to do is just have sex they just want to fuck yeah. that's pretty much what so they're he's like ah oh, I gotta get away from these like, yeah, carnal desires to, it's yeah. better up here I'm free he wants to eat and shit and fart and do all that stuff <laughs> <laughs> there was a uh, I, I, I didn't really say. take much notes because I love this scene so yeah, much I was, that was watching like, it pretty hard too so um, also yeah. uh, the role of the Moon King was was once intended for Sean Connery uh, Connery didn't think that he was kingly enough or something to, and so Robin Williams took it. I think Millions and his manic I, sort of. Yeah, because I couldn't imagine. Well, because they say lunatic, lunar, you know, like Luna. Lu- oh, that's yeah, oh, no. it's so much sense. Yeah, Holy shit. like he's a lunatic. Yes, he is. He yeah. certainly is. You know, because you're crazed by the moon. Mm, and, good uh, job. But yeah, the Sean Connery, <laughs> I couldn't see him doing that kind of. I couldn't either. Crazy stuff. There was know. a guy uh, named Federico Fellini who was filming the movie Intervista um, with at an adjacent soundstage mm-hmm. uh, at Cinecitta, and I think in Italy. And he popped in one afternoon to see his previous collaborator, Dante Ferretti's work on this new one, and also to meet Gilliam. And he was amazed at the amount of money being spent on a fantasy film. Because I guess, despite it being uh, buried by Columbia, there was still a lot of money at this particular kind of film at the time. So he liked that. That's cool. Uh, Sally and the Baron get captured. Yep, and he puts him in a uh, in a like a it's like a clocky a bird cage type of thing. Apparently, this type of cage shows up a lot in a lot of Gilliam's movies, and that's another director trademark. Okay, it's like it's, it's like a circular cage with different levels, It's like a sphere. Yeah, and uh, he's like, okay, you know, blah, blah blah. And this is where we meet um, Bertolt. Yeah, Bertolt comes back to us, uh, and you know, Bertolt's like hiding underneath, and Bertolt doesn't remember who he is. Right, yeah, he's been on the moon for so long that his memory is kind of like lapsed. Yeah, it's just lapsed. He just thinks he, he's like, I'm a prisoner. I'm a, you know, that's all he can remember. We also, because again, I didn't take much notes. So I'm kind of oh, I, I did. I'm sorry. Did uh, yeah. So I was, after I, they discover yeah. Bertold, Bertold, the queen's the head queen flies in, flies over it to help them escape um, while her body is being pleasured, causing her to moan while she's trying to help them get out of the cage. Which yeah, is super and awkward. Sally's like, "What are they doing?" And the baron's yeah. like, "Oh, he's tickling, tickling her feet." feet. Yeah. And then it cuts to uh, the Moon King, like actually tickling, tickling her feet. Um, and yeah, he, because the the Moon King's body grabbed him, grabbed yeah. the head, and like attached it. And he <laughs> figures, he figures out that her head isn't there, and he's like, "What are you doing?" Or no, no, why, why yeah, are you? Why are you so quiet? Why are you so quiet? Are you the pillow biter? Oh, pillow biter. And I was like, "Jesus!" <laughs> and he's actually tickling, yeah, tickling her feet. And then he gets mad, angry because he discovers the head is gone. Because you're with him, that little man. Yeah, the little man. And so he. Uh, sh- and Bertolt starts to remember. He's like, you left me here. Yeah, you fucking me. left me. He's like, what'd you do? To do that to go off and run with someone else? Yeah, and then some, come back to me whenever the opportunity some uh, woman, yeah. uh, arose? And he goes, yes. He says, yes, I did. <laughs> okay. And then they take yes. off. <laughs> and there's somehow a atmosphere on the moon. Yeah, they uh, they hop on like the the queen's head. I mean, she's massive. Like, you gotta <clears> think like comparison. Yeah, they take them out to like the edge. The of edge. And wherever she, they are. she gives him a locket of her hair. 
um, which is like massively oh, yeah. long. Because you got to think, like he's she's a giant ass head. He's like the size of like a pin cap, and compared to like, like the a, size like, of her like face, a ba- like a basketball. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. That's about the comparison yeah, that's, of that's the a size. Good one. I like that. Um, they drop her off, and uh, the the king, or they get dropped off. Yeah, they get dropped off at like the kind of the edge area, and then the king is coming now, after yeah, him. He's in pursuit on this giant, weird, mechanical. It's a three headed bird. Three headed bird lion. It's like a griffin. Yeah, it's like a griffin, but it's got three heads, and they're like it's got a vultures, tail. and yeah. And it's made of mechan- so they, they well, you don't see that right yeah, away. They start like, running away, and he's like, they run in three directions, which causes each of the heads. Uh, was, because he's like, you take this one, you take that one, you take this one. He throws a giant stalk of asparagus. Yeah, yeah, that's oh, exactly that what it is. Yeah, he's got like this big spear, and it's asparagus. Because I was like, spear, yeah. And I looked at it like the way it's shaped. Spears, right? It, yeah, it, <laughs> and he throws it, and you know it's massive, and yeah. they're running away. So they they. I think uh, Sally runs straight. The Baron. No, runs. they each one. Uh, one stays in the center, and two, two run, run left thing. and right. Yeah, and so because of the three heads, uh, and they just yeah, the two diverge and they rips it just the, rips it open, rips and, it apart, and you see all these like mechanical parts inside. Yeah, like, it's what fucking weird clockwork. And I don't get it. The Moon King gets thrown, and he his body dies. His head pops up. He's like, my body is dead. I'm yeah. free. And then he's like, oh, I have an itch. Oh no. Oh no. And then he oh, no. flies away. Well, he sneezes himself oh, he sneezes, out into yeah. space. Yeah, he's like, a chill, and then he just flies away. And um, now they're, they're like, get to, uh, the scaling the crescent moon. Yeah, they're on the they're on the bottom tip of a crescent moon, like the kid in the DreamWorks logo. Yeah, and they, they wrap their, the, the hair that they got from the queen into a rope. Oh, that's and right. They're, they're shimmying down, and it runs out of rope. And he's like, he oh, cuts, don't worry. And the Baron just cuts the top of it and then hands it down to Bertolt. He's and, like, where did you get this? Where did you get this? From the top. And he's like, what? wait a minute. Uh Okay, and he just ties it on, and then finally, once they all realize what they did, yeah. they fall. Yeah. You know, because it's, it's that imagination, the logic. Like yeah. If, if if you believe in it, right. it'll work. Right. But the and minute you realize, the oh, we're attached to it, nothing. Boom. Boom. It falls, and I think that's oh, it's so good. When they fall back to earth, it's cool too because it's a it's a globe, like a like yeah, a, it's an actual like globe. A desk globe. Yeah, you can tell because you see the lines, like you yeah, know. like little panels and stuff. Because that's the kind of shit that you would imagine space looks like as a kid. Because when you're a kid, the only like representation you have of what the world looks like. Outside is, is seeing looking a, at a globe. globe. Yeah, and so when you think of space, you think of like all the multicolored countries, and, the, and the, <laughs> they got lines running through yeah, them. Like is Russia, really red. Yeah, uh, <laughs> sure is, son. <laughs> Damn commies. <laughs> so uh, they uh, they fall into a volcano, yes. and uh, we basically are into another scene. Um, they fall into Mount Etna in Italy. Yeah. And uh, who do we have here? Well, at first they seem like they're giants. They seem like they're giants, and this is kind of a little fun gag because yeah. they're like they're they're in this big like crater because mm-hmm. they fell so far, and they're like, oh no, there's giants. Yeah. And then when they get up, when they pull them out, like Baron von Munchausen's got a good three feet on him, unlike everybody. Yeah, yeah. yeah everybody. They, they climb out, and he still considers himself a giant. Yeah, even though all the people who just are showed just up shorter, are they're either they're, normal normal size. Yeah, I think like they're like a good like foot taller than Sally. Everyone, yeah, proportionate. Like <laughs> yeah, she's a child, and like and then he's got a bunch of cyclops around him, uh, which is kind of another little uh, reference to uh, the Odyssey when he when he uh, takes yeah. on Polyphemus. Um, and the the main giant. Is giant quote unquote is, is Vulcan the god is Vulcan yeah that's his name and he's played by Oliver Reed uh, and Oliver Reed is uh, unfortunately he's 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 dead he passed in 1999 he was 61 and he did that he passed while he was filming or before the end of filming for Gladiator 
Ridley Scott's movie. He was Proximo in that, and he suffered a heart attack while filming uh, three weeks before principal photography ended. Um, Still did a good job, though. Yeah, he did. Well, well, there was a clause in the movie where the insurance cover actually allowed the filmmakers to reshoot with a different actor, but the cast and crew were exhausted by their schedule. That they're like, we just won't do it. And Ridley Scott didn't want to cut the character from the film, so the script was rewritten. They used a body double and CGI to finish the movie with that character mm-hmm. in it. And it's still one of the best examples of like really well-used CGI. Because I didn't know. I didn't know either until scenes, you just told me that. Some of the scenes he's in, he's not there because he died. I have to rewatch it. Yeah, and um, that was one of two uh, Oscar... Best Picture Oscar movies he was in, including Oliver from 68. Uh, and he was in a movie called Dr. Heckle and Mr. Hype from back in the day. Man. I want to say that was, uh, I, I didn't get it. Pit Sounds and Pendulum, like- Condor Man. And he was in the 1973 Three Musketeers. Uh, and it turns out Reed was an alcoholic who remained sober while filming Gladiator uh, for a while, um, which was intended to be his big comeback. But he died uh, from a heart attack after one final binge. Man. <laughs> Um, we meet Vulcan and, you know, yeah, he says, like, these are my giants and stuff like yeah. that. And we find out it's pretty much Italian hell. You know, it's like a Greek Hades type of right. deal. And it's funny, despite him being, like, smaller, he's still a giant. Whenever he stomps on the floor, he's still it like, moves. <laughs> and he's, like, he kind what? of crouches and he does such a good job. I don't have any. I have one little clip of him. They're, they make weapons. And he oh, says, this is where he talks about the nuke? Yeah. And he's like, yeah. we made, and I, when I was re-listening to it, it's not in this little clip, but he says, we make weapons for every century. Is what he said. Oh, cool. Yeah, so that's what I was like. I was wondering about the nuke, and I was re- redoing the clips. He's like, oh, we make it for that. So, yeah, there's a giant nuclear warhead, and here's a little uh, thing of, of that. Oh, this is our prototype. RX uh, Intercontinental. Radar sneaking, multi-warheaded nuclear missile. Ah. What does it do? Do. Kills the enemy. All the enemy? Aye, all of them. All their wives and all their children and all their sheep and all their cattle and all their cats and dogs. All of them. All of them gone for good. That's horrible. Uh, well, you see, the advantage is you don't have to see one single one of them die. You just sit comfortably thousands of miles away from the battlefield and simply press the button. Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> there was a little clip, little bit after that where he's like, that doesn't sound fun. And he goes, well, for some people it is. You know, yeah, thing that's there. crazy. So after that, he goes, uh, would you like a little, little spot, little spotter? Uh, yeah, little, little treats them to tea, a little cheese. And you know, you're, so you're in like this, like it's like a melting factory. You know, they're making weapons, clanging. As you could hear in the clip, and then they open up. He's like, "Come in!" And then there's this gorgeous garden, and he's pouring like tea, and he's being very dainty. He's yeah. like, "Delicious, isn't it?" And all this stuff. And is, is this when Albrick the midget, quote unquote, yes. shows up? So uh, we see another one of his companions. Yeah. So Albrick is the strong man, and uh, we are. He kind of because they didn't they didn't know where he was. They just kind of stumbled upon him. Yeah, and he comes in and he is like their maid, and he's yeah. you know, and he's again, like, I'm a midget here. They treat me well. Yeah, I love yeah. It. He's like he's like you know because he's an actual giant. Yeah, he's massive. He's massive, he's bigger and, than anyone in this. But whole they movie. call him their little midget. Yeah, you know. He's and like, he's, I love it. I love it here. I don't. I, I don't. No, the first thing he goes, he goes, Baron. I don't have the gold. I, I donated it to charity. Is <laughs> what he says. Oh yeah. yeah, I donated it to charity. He's like, we're not here for the gold. We just need you. He's like, I don't. I don't want to leave. I like being dainty and, and, yeah. and quiet. 
and he's wearing like a little maid's outfit. And this is where we meet uh, Uma Thurman plays a character, another character in this, because Uma Thurman is just again one of the actresses in uh, yes. the thing. And she plays Venus, mm-hmm. the goddess. She appears nearly nude. Nearly nude. And what she what when she appears, this is great, is that it is the famous painting of Venus with the That's clamshell. Right. Yeah. She comes out of the clamshell. The women fly by with the ribbons. Seems like she's floating everywhere. You don't see her feet, but she yeah, doesn't she floats walk everywhere. Next to anybody. She's just floating. And they meet, and of course, the Baron is immediately smitten with yeah, her. Yeah, oh, beautiful. Oh my. I think it's always beautiful <laughs> lady. Unsurprisingly. And he hands her what? A rose. He hands her another rose. Turns out that uh, Oliver <laughs> Reed spent most of his time on this movie getting really drunk and trying to seduce the virginal Uma Thurman at the time. <laughs> really? Ooh, Awkward. Yeah, he looks a little creepy in this, too. And Uma is just, you know, she looks like, she does, she looks like a goddess. She looks yeah, like Venus. I mean, it's... Nailed it. She's perfect. Um, how old was she in this? Like, 18? Dude, I didn't do the math, but... I don't uh, want to be like, oh my god, she's 15 years old or something. Like, she was uh, pretty young. She's pretty young. She looks good, though. And uh, fantastic. the Baron kind of falls for her, and... Uh, she dances with the um, with Venus. She oh he dances with yeah her. he dances with the her bear, and they go into this like really cool it's like, like the atrium or something like that yeah I think that um because remember he gets mad he's like would you like to see the atrium yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> I think that set was used in a in a different movie uh, around the same time oh probably uh, and while they're dancing you see like cherubs flying by you know little cupids. She was, uh, I think, 18, 17 or 18 17, at the time. 18. Yeah. Little cherubs flying by, and they're dancing. And, and of course, the Vulcan is just getting really angry. Oh, he's angry. Really angry. And uh, He does the, like, the cartoonish the, smoke ears. Yeah. yeah. And I remember, what was it? Uh, Burkholt, uh, Eric Idle's like, um, I don't know how to dance. Follow me. Yeah. And he's like doing like this dance. Everybody dances. Everybody dances. Even Vulcan tries to dance. Yeah, he and, tries to dance. And Sally's like... Goes, uh, she's yelling she's like, at the Yo, Baron. We gotta go. We got a mission, fool. The, yeah, the, the the people are Focus. being hurt, and she's like, and, and then every time she says that throughout the movie, he's like, oh, fine. And then it'll cut to like the Ottomans almost breaking down the door. Yeah, to there's the nothing city. there. Perfectly safe. Yeah, perfectly safe. And, and finally, uh, they kiss Venus and the Baron. Yeah, and I wrote down, oh man, uh, I think it was weird for Uma to kiss an old guy. Like, yeah, what were their ages? Because he was in his early sixties and she was eighteen. So I mean, actors, man. It's I know it's a thing. I know, but if you're if it's your first acting job and you're you're required to kiss an old man, and you haven't yet built up that sort of confidence, you level know, confidence to to you know, I don't know. It's part. It's got to be weird for anybody, yeah. but you know, professionalism. So Sally's if, like, if they get it. Sally sees it and she goes, "All right, fuck you," pretty much, and goes and tells Vulcan that, "Hey, they're kissing." Yeah, and I. There, there's different plays that I've read that when they do these, like, oh, they dance type of stuff, sometimes it's an innuendo for sex. Oh. So that's why I was wondering, maybe that might be an innuendo for sex. Okay. Uh, the whole dancing, the, they're dancing, the cherubs flying and stuff oh, like that. Sure. And it's oh, sure. Oh, So I thought, you know, it could be something like that. Okay. Just Some, reading into it could be wrong. All right, you know, all right. Unless we call Terry Gilliam and ask him up. I'm sure he'd be like, it's open to interpretation, yeah, bro. Yeah, exactly. There's so much going think. on in this movie, whatever, man. Um, Smoke a bowl and watch Vulcan it. gets angry and like pulls them down. And he... Uh, Does he throw everybody into a... A vorta- water like a, vortex. Yeah, like a whirlpool. Yeah, well, something. her and Venus get into like a little... Him and Venus get into a little scuffle about it. And then, you know, he's like, well, I kissed him. I can do, I'm a goddess. I can do what I want. And he gets all mad. And she's like, did I get you all hot and bothered. Do you remember? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and then she yeah, zoned right. out for a second. <laughs> <laughs> Just thinking Sorry, about the movie. Sorry, I was miles away. <laughs> I was miles away. And um, 
they, she picks him up after she throws him into yeah. the vortex. So he throws everybody in the vortex. Everybody. And it goes through the center of the earth. Yeah, it's like a it's like a water tunnel that goes all the way all down. All the way to the South then, Seas. And then the gravity reverses on yeah, them. Yeah. it's you see it's, the surface underneath their yeah, feet. Yeah, it's got this cool like upside down camera thing. And, and I was thinking while they were trying to film that, they probably got a lot of water up their nose. Oh, yeah, most that likely. probably sucked. I don't even know if it was them because some of them you couldn't see their faces very well. True, in the yeah. water, so they could have got like... Some kind it of synchronized like, swimmers or it definitely looked like Eric Idle because he said like fucking don't be in his movies go watch them but don't fucking oh, be in it. oh, it's madness bet. yeah no, and they're like best friends <laughs> like I fucking hate it <laughs> uh, so they all pretty much resurface once the world goes click 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 and they get their adjustment and they're floating in the water and they see a an island mm-hmm. the island uh, is actually it, well, not it, well yeah it's not but they're like oh an island and what is it that uh, Albert uh, Albert yeah says he's like oh, is there a volcano yeah, yeah. have a volcano. Now it's an island, and then it goes, it like spews out. It's like maybe there is, and then the island starts moving, and we realize it's a gigantic fish monster. Yes, it's a big fish monster that rises out of the sea, and it's a really cool looking puppet. Um, yeah, they do a great job on and it. Then it the is swal- like, when they swallow, it dives and swallows everybody. When they swallow, you can tell that they're little figurines, but yeah. it's still kind of cool though. I yeah, mean, it's like, super cool because it's all it's all part it's a of story. the yeah. imagination. It's like so when you're good. a kid, it's so easy to like. So they get they get appreciate s- how he seems to like grab your childlike like interpretation of it and like and this and this awesome. is a callback to the beginning of the movie because uh, when the players are doing their their mm. their theatrical show you see the you monster see the you fish. see the big fish monster and uh, they get swallowed um the now they're like hanging out in they're the hanging out in the innards, belly like it's, very it's, Jonah style yeah Jonah very Pinocchio like all that kind of stuff true that. Um, well, they hear music. They hear music. The yeah. Baron is looking very ill. He's yeah. He's, he's, well, he's, he's starting to like give up. His no, he, st- he started aging again. He's yeah. not all young. He's like super fucking old again. Yeah, he's like. And they yeah they hear this this music and it sounds horrible. I think at one point he's like that's not music. Uh, and uh, the they see a light on in like this old ship and when they yeah. walk up you do see a guy playing the accordion and singing and that is Terry Gilliam. Right. He is credited as the uh, obnoxious the singer. Irritating fish. The irritating yeah, singer. Yeah, singer. Um, you go up and there's a bunch of like old pirates and sailors. And they're sitting around they're having s- a card game. Having a card game and this is where we see um, uh, we come back to his two last companions. Yep. Gustav and Adolphus and, Adolphus. and Gust- Gust- Gustavus. Gustavus and Adolphus. That's, and uh, Adolphus, that's the, yeah. the guy who can there's, there's some kind of connection between those two names i think there was a person either named that or uh some i'll, I'll yeah. find it in a minute so gustavus which i didn't talk about earlier he has really big ears and he has like super hearing mm-hmm. and he also he can you know breathe He's in like superman super breath. lungs yeah so he can have super hearing but they're all old uh uh the, the sharpshooter is now blinder in a bat. They actually think they're dead, and he's got he's got one yeah, eye missing, I have, I have a clip for that. Okay. Um, and uh, Gustavus is now deaf. He has, like, a horn. He's got the ear yeah. horn. <laughs> they're all old. And when they... And here's a little clip of that while they're in the belly. Adolphus, who used to be able to hit a bullseye from halfway around the world. And this is Gustavus, who could blow over a whole forest with just one breath. Those were the days, I... How'd you mean? I was no good fighting it. We're not dead. You have to accept it. We're all dead here. This is hell. Heaven. Hell. Heaven. Don't be stupid. Uh, sit down, relax, have a game. 
Everybody starts sitting down, and uh, I—I was—that's uh, the Adolphus, it, the voice, the voice. Yeah, he, the the sharpshooter, his voice is all. Did he was his up. voice like that when he was younger? I don't think so, because I'm getting a lot of like uh, you know Smeagol and Gollum vibes. Yeah, no, I, I was wondering like if he did the voice for it, but yeah, it is. That's just, no, that was Andy Circus. No, no, I know. I'm talking about in this movie. Like, did that actor oh, actually do that? Oh, or was it like overdubbed? Was it overdubbed? Yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, don't know, but yeah. So he, they, they're, they're all sitting, and it's basically, yeah, we're dead. We're gonna play. Yeah. We're gonna play a game. And then death and appears. Death is the dealing the cards. Yeah. Death is dealing the cards, and Sally is like yelling at the Baron, and he's urging and, him to get up, and, and he's like, "Leave me alone! Quest. Leave me alone, you little bitch!" And yeah. follow, I'm, I'm just, let me, yeah, let me go, let me die, let me yeah. die, let me die. And um, death is there, and she does. Doesn't she do something to scare death away? Uh. I can't recall. I can't she, she's always like throwing something at her, or oh, that's it. His uh, his 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 horse busts through the door. Oh, true that. Okay, yeah. Bucephalus shows up, the Baron's horse. And he breaks through the damn door, yeah, just like he broke through the. He's like kicking this door down, dude. Like this, a, this horse is a monster is, yeah. horse. Uh, uh, funny, funnily enough, yeah. uh, there was actually an outbreak of horse fever in Spain, which meant <laughs> that a lot of the horses uh, at the time that that had been in training for months in Rome were forbidden to travel to the film's Spanish location. So. I don't know if this scene is directly related to that, but hearing about the horse again reminded me oh, yeah. that yet again, on top of all of the production struggles, they couldn't get all their damn horses at a certain point. Um, even like, I don't know if we mentioned if I mentioned it before, like um, it was like two million dollars over budget before they even started filming. Yeah, oh, I don't know if you, you told me earlier, but I don't know if we said it on the. Yeah, case. that's just one of those things that like also plagued the production. So the uh, the horse breaks through. They kind of wake up a little bit, and yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And they're like, "How are we gonna get out of here?" And, yeah. and this is a little callback to the beginning. And I think this is this is, I think, a direct line from the original stories, uh, where he says, "Well, he goes, uh, um, what is it? He goes, uh, 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 I uh, find that a, um, a little dash of snuff, will, a modicum uh, of snuff, yeah, modicum is of snuff. most efficacious." <laughs> <laughs> so he blows like, blows it, and then of course it makes the fish sneeze. Yeah, and they, they hop on like a boat. Boy, I hate sneezing. Yeah, <laughs> you know, fish can hear you thinking right before you sneeze. Really? No, I just made that up. Oh. You should just stick to that. Don't I do. It, it sounds funny. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they get blasted out of the fucking fish, the monster. Ah, uh, yes. And uh, they're in the water, or and they get on the boat, but they can't find the Baron. They're like, Baron, Baron, Baron. And he starts to rise out of the water, and he's holding himself by his ponytail. By his own damn ponytail. By his ponytail. And him and the horse float out of the water <sighs> while he's holding his ponytail right over the boat. And land, and, and then in into it. Because and if you believe, you can do it. Right, and I'm gonna come back. I'm not gonna talk about this thing now because I got a lot. Uh, I wrote down a lot about the Munchausen trilemma, uh, which references this, which is known as like bootstrapping. Uh, but we'll come back to that once we finish the main uh, story here. Okay. <laughs> So they re they return to the town uh, after that. Once they come out of the water, where the where the uh, Sultan's army is still attacking. Yeah, we can kind um, of blast through this. Yeah, this is pretty. Their their boat gets sunk. Uh, they make it to shore. The Baron suggests himself. Uh, well, the, the you Baron know, giving himself up. Well, the, no, the Baron is like ready to bum rush, and, and then Sally is like, "Look at them. They're too old." Sally stops believing. Oh, that's oh, true that. And yeah. then he's like, "Fuck you." He's like, "I'll just turn myself I'll just in." Turn myself and in. he goes, <laughs> and he goes, "We'll see what happens when I do that." 
So he turns himself in. He walks into the Sultan's... Uh, the tent. The he's tent. Got, like, his and, uh, battlefield tent. Yeah, and uh, basically turns himself in. And right before he's going to get the axe on the head... Again. Again. Um, Adolphus saves him. Yeah, he, he uh, shoots. Well-timed shot. There's a really cool shot before this all starts, too, because the camera is, like, right at the... Uh, the executioner's block, mm-hmm. and it like comes, it fires backwards, and you see all the extras kind of just stand, like hop into the path as it as it pulls out, and oh, it's I didn't a, see one that. long tracking shot, and it's oh, that's really cool. cool. I must have been I, writing something down. It was super awesome. Um, and then just chaos ensues, like just a, a da- yeah, bunch yeah. of stuff. At one point, Baron jumps in the Baron battle, gets on his horse, he like runs by a bunch of guys with his sword, all their <laughs> heads <laughs> pop off. Um, what is it? G- Gustavus uh, blows uh, people blows around. Blows a bunch of the Turks away. Yeah, and blows them back. He even blows like a mouse into a... Uh, Berthold even like chases down a sniper's musket bullet. ball. yeah. Gets in front of it, grabs pushes it. it, and no, he, he or, grabs or, uh, a piece of armor oh, and like yeah, creates like a ricochet. little ricochet off and hits the guy. Um, um, Albrecht um, grabs the anchors from the sea and like hammer throws, hammer throws like all these ships. these like these uh, <laughs> whole ass ships, like the ships that have sunk around the area, and basically they win. Yeah, so the day is won and there's a big victory parade. Yep. Um, and during and, the ceremony and during the victory parade, the, the statue that was demolished at the beginning, they're rebuilding it. And you see that it is yeah, the Baron the statue. Baron, yeah. Um, and then while they're doing the parade, they're all having a good time. He's on his horse. Jonathan Price, uh, is next to the gargoyle kind of statue that yeah, is the death, death statue. Yeah. And he has a musket and he shoots the Baron in the chest and he dies. Thus assassinated. Oh, no, no, no. He gets shot, and then they're like, is there a doctor? Is there a doctor? And he's going, no doctors. No doctors. No doctors. No doctors. No doctors. And the doctor shows up, and it's actually death in disguise. Yeah. Sally Looks sees very it. very grim, yeah. Sally can see it, but no one else can. And she's trying to push him away, and uh, death gets the Baron. Mm-hmm. Um, and hold on. Death okay. gets the Baron, and then this happens. They're burying him. Death, an experience which I don't hesitate strongly to recommend. And so, with the help of my inestimable servants, I defeated the Turks and saved the day. And from that time forth, everyone who had a talent for it lived happily ever after. <laughs> Stop this nonsense at once! So as they're burying him, yeah, it cuts back to him telling the story at the theater from the very beginning. Yeah, he's not dead. He's along. old. Yeah. The whole thing was a story. Jonathan Price busts through the door, tries to arrest the Baron, right, and he goes, "Open the gates. Yeah, open the gates. We have won the battle. Yeah, you know, Baron." And the Jonathan's like, "You're fucking wrong." And the Baron's like, "No, open the gates." Yeah. So they all go outside. Jonathan Price is trying to get the. Fucking soldiers to shoot, shoot, them. Like shoot the mob, yeah. Not happening. They open the gates, and what happens? The Ottoman Empire is, is gone, gone destroyed. Like, F this. Because what you believe oh. it can happen. You know, it's like there's so many power themes. of belief. The power right. of belief, you know, not logic. If you think of, right. if you believe in something, it's going to happen. That whole right, right, right. type of thing. And that old chestnut. <laughs> yeah, and, and then and then he kind of rides off into the fucking sunset. Uh, and even here too, he like throws roses to all the ladies. Uh, he throws a rose to every lady except for one, and that's Sally. No, 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 no. He throws her a scarlet pimpernel, doesn't she? doesn't he? He 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 goes to hand uh, 
because uh, Uma Thurman walks up. He's like, oh, beautiful lady. And he goes to give her a rose. And at the feet of Uma Thurman is Sally. And she goes, <clears throat> and he just looks down. And he goes, oh, fuck, and throws it at her <laughs> instead. So she finally gets the rose. <clears throat> Uh, so yeah, that's the, essentially the end of the movie, and it's it's a, just a fantastical journey, like start to finish. See this movie, watch it's this movie. crazy. Like uh, what, us talking about it, we try to give as much justice as we can, but we, there's no way in hell no. we can really explain this film to you in depth like no. we'd like to. Uh, this film became real notorious. When we, I know we touched on it a couple of times for its many production problems and cast or cost overruns. Mm. Um, the make matters worse was the change in regimes at Columbia Pictures. The uh, New regime. The hierarchies uh, yeah, falling. The yeah. uh, CEO or whomever. Uh, the new people coming in, um, not wanting any production to shine, uh, just simply buried the film during its U.S. release uh, because it was the product of the last regime. Um, and there were many markets, especially smaller ones in the U.S., where the movie was not released at all. <clears throat> I, I do have something real quick about yeah, like, sure. the budget. Roger Ebert gave it three out of four stars, and he said this. He says... Uh, Told with cheerfulness and a light touch that never betray the time and money it took to create them. Yeah, that's true. You can't really tell that there was any like turmoil because of no, the because but, but it was like it was in newspapers and stuff like that about like how big of a bomb it was. But Roger yeah. Ebert, he also said this about uh, John Neville's title role in the appearing. He says sensible and matter of fact as anyone would if they had spent a lifetime growing accustomed to the incredible. Yeah, and I'm like, he, John, yeah, John Neville really did a great. Great job portraying this character. I think so, too. Um, it's... What am I going to say here? Where was I? Uh, yeah, Gilliam was actually almost fired. Um, and that, that was real, real close from this, you know... Uh, I forget who was uh, reading to potentially take over, but, you know, thankfully it didn't. Uh, the film was way over budget. I know we mentioned that before. Originally at $23.5 million. It grew to a reported $46.6 um, yeah, uh, But Gilliam uh, says that um, despite... Or said its final costs had been nowhere near 40 million so that's just what was reported oh uh, there's another i suppose another thing here is that uh the the reason it did so crappily is that when it released there were only a hundred uh 117 prints made for america yeah that's they, it they seriously that's, like, that's a limited release like an art an art house film gets like right. 400 that was them you know? burying that shit yeah uh the movie also kind of forms uh the final uh installment of an informal trilogy um, with Gilliam's pre previous films, Time Bandits and Brazil, uh, being one and two. The three movies uh, represent the three stages of man, youth, middle age, and elderly, and the impact of imagination on each of those. Nice. Yeah, pretty the, cool. The, also, there's a couple different posters for this movie. Like, there's a DVD poster. The international poster I really like. It's kind of like a crescent moon type of thing. Yeah. But the one that most people see on, like, if you bought the DVD back in the day, right. um, is uh, the... Baron, the Baron's head as a giant inflatable uh, like a hot, hot air, air balloon. balloon, and I think that was pretty fun because, like you know, I thought there was a little thing there because of his ego was so goddamn high about his stories that yeah. his head, he's just full of hot air, you know. Yeah, <laughs> like, there was a lot of uh, a lot of praise for the movie. Uh, a lot of words were thrown around like inventive, wild, elastic. Somebody described like whimsical Gilliam's, stuff like that. Gilliam styles being very whimsical in Alaska. It's very dense. This movie is. There's a lot Holy going on. Shit. Like, yeah. The costumes, the set design. You can you can pause a, a single frame and and he just see a, a thousand things. He put going a lot on. of shit on the screen. It is fair teeming with activity. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it fills every gap. It blurs fantasy and reality quite well. Uh, it's spinning a lot of plates. 
Um, and it feels like an absurd dream and much the same way, like your own dreams, kind of like one minute you're at home, the next minute you're in a, you know, uh, on the moon, uh, playing checkers with someone. Also, um, technically this movie came out in the United States in 89. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cause I but think it came out, it came out in West Germany in 88. Okay. So it was like a December film. So we're still going to say it came out in 88 because sure. that's when it was released. Uh, it bears a lot of similarities to Lucian's A True Story, which was a novel written by a second century AD author. Uh, it has wild outlandish tales that involve going to the moon, a king on that moon, uh, and then falling back to earth only to be swallowed by a whale. So there's, you know, it, it's got some similarities there. And I think those were certainly like inspirations um, from when Baron was telling his own stories, people would just joke about how tall his tales were and then embellish them when... Well, the, there's also... because uh, Do you have the actual name of the book? Yeah, I do, actually. Because uh, in the movie, he does talk about one point. He's like, did I ever tell you the time that I turned down the marriage of Catherine the Great? Yeah. You well, know, because well, it's about... It's like <clears throat> isn't it his adventures in Russia or something yeah, like that? Yeah, here we go. So yeah. uh, Baron Munchausen, the Baron Munchausen, uh, was born in 1720 and he died in 1797. Um, the actual one. Now, this fictional character is a German nobleman created by German writer Rudolf Erich Rasp in his 1785 book, Baron Munchausen's Narrative of His Marvelous Travels and Campaigns in Russia. Uh, and it's based on a real guy named Hieronymus Karl Friedrich Führer von Munchausen. Yep. And he actually uh, <coughs> says that is his name in the yeah. movie. Um, the uh, Let's see here. He has been uh, portrayed about six different times, dating back to uh, 1911 and then uh, some in the 1930s and all the way up till the 80s. Yeah, I've got it here. It's 1911, 1943, 1961, 1979, and uh, then now, or uh, 88. Right. The actual uh, Baron's nickname was a Lugenbaron, which means uh, Baron of Lies. Uh, he was born in Bodenwerder in the Electorate of Hanover. Uh, he fought for the Russian Empire. This is the real guy. He fought for the Russian Empire in the Russo-Austro-Turkish uh, War, 1735-39. Uh, he retired in 1760 and became something of a celebrity within uh, aristocratic circles in Germany for telling wild-ass stories about his military exploits. Uh, and so Rudolf Erich Rasp heard some of these embellishments and ad adapted them in secret uh, and then published it in 1785. Now, the real Munchausen, or Munchausen, however you want to pronounce it, um, was pretty butthurt about the whole thing, um, but Rasp actually never took credit, uh, and it was only actually discovered after his death uh, that he had been the one to, to put the book together. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's see here. Many considered. I think, yeah. I, think, I think that's a good. That's another thing of the of the Baron getting pissed off at people telling his stories. Yeah, yeah. You it's know, total, it's thing totally, totally, yeah. totally. Um, and many considered the actual Baron. Um, to not be a liar, he was actually, they considered him to be an honest man because most of the time these are just after dinner stories that weren't meant to deceive, but to quote, ridicule the disposition for the marvelous, which he observed in some of his acquaintances. Uh, and then he died, he died childless. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there, there was a there was a little there was a comic book adaptation. There of, was yeah, the Adventures of Baron Munchausen, a four part miniseries in eighty nine by Now Comics. Now Comics, I think. Yeah, Now Comics. That's yeah. right. Um, it's also used in mathematics. Uh, there's a medical condition, and there's like epistemology, which I think is a kind of uh, um, I don't know if it's psychiatry. It's a philosoph philosophical sort of 
study of things. I had to look all this up, all this yeah. stuff up. I am not well versed in any of this, so it, my limited understanding of it is 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 about as good as you're going to get. So bear with me here. Um, the Munchausen trilemma is a uh, thought experiment used to demonstrate the impossibility of proving any truth. Um, there are three options, and usually they're unsatis you know unsatisfactory options, um, being the circular argument, the regressive argument, or the axiomatic argument. Uh, the trilemma is a decision between three unsatisfying options, and it was coined by German philosopher Hans Albert in 1968 in reference to a three-way problem of uh, dogmatism versus infinite regress versus psychologism, uh, which was used by Karl Popper. Uh, it refers to the problem of bootstrapping, like when Munchausen is pulling himself up out of the water yeah, yeah, yeah. by his own fucking hair. Um, and Okay, where is it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Nietzsche actually uses this adventure as a metaphor for belief in complete metaphysical uh, free will. Nice. That's and cool. And there's, there's a lot more um, that one can discover about that if you're into epistemology. Yeah, so, my, my buddy Jason is into the Nietzsche. And there was like also um, the Munchausen number, which again is kind of a clever thing. And this, this was only coined back in 2008. <clears throat> so relatively recently. Uh, where am I at here? Um, why don't you duck rate it, bro? Oh, man. I'm going rare. You ready? Yeah. Five motherfucking ducks. <laughs> Five ducks. I, I There is so much in this movie. You can rewatch this movie a bunch of times and always catch something else. And uh, I, I, I have to give it five because it's just it is a well-made movie. It's incredible. I, I don't think there's one thing I dislike about it. No, I can't nitpick this movie. I can't. Like the, it's it's somewhat dated, but yeah. even then, uh, it's a fantastical story. I I, I I like it all. I like it incredibly well. Yeah. Uh, I also will give it five ducks, with one minor criticism. Go ahead. The only the only thing I have to say that slightly, you know, makes me go like, hmm, is that it's sometimes it it is unclear. That what what it's doing or where it's going and it's very Ebert. That's why Ebert didn't give it the four stars. Is he does that? Right. He goes, he you, you get too, a, you yeah. can get a little lost in it. But I think I think it works for um, for the story this old man is telling. Right, because, because it's always about that. It's about that thing. That, and then uh, once you find out at the very end, that line. yeah, at the very end that he's just been telling this this fantastical tale and he's like eighty seven years old. Yeah, that if someone told that story, there would be. Gaps. There might be sure. little things that you're not going to touch on. Right. So or you'll gloss over. Yeah, yeah. It's not like you need a whole back history on it type yeah. of thing. Uh, so, I. <laughs> this is your first time seeing it. Yeah, my first time. I saw this movie probably when I was like nine, and I, yeah. I and I only remembered the uh, cannonball the cannonball scene. scene. Yeah. And I just I remembered it for years. Like I remember seeing this crazy movie. This guy uh -huh. flying on a damn cannonball. Yeah, I didn't recall any you of know, this imagery and, except for the cannonball thing. It wasn't, thing it wasn't and, until I was at the Virgin Megastore. Oh, nice. Downtown Disney. Oh, I missed that place. Dude, dude, I wish it was the still movie there. selection they had there. High five on that was redonkulous. Dude, it was so good. And I found the movie. I'm like scrolling through stuff. I was looking at some money. I think I was buying some Monty Python. Yeah. And there it was. They and had I, it right I looked at it and I'm like, hold, because that's why my DVDs all crapped out. I've had it for since like high school. And yeah, I bought it, man. It was just so good. I uh, I had seen a, a couple of Gilliam's movies before this. Obviously, I, Fear I'd and Loathing and Twelve I, Monkeys and yeah, Time I, Bandits. I always forget he did those things. Yeah. Like, I mostly, when I think of Terry Gilliam, I think Time Bandits. I think those like iconic. Yeah, you know? and they all have a very similar style. And, and whoever, I can't remember which person had said it when I was reading, but the, he used Elastic as a, as a perfect description of 
what the the, the content of his movies is mm. like it's hard to you know tell someone what it's about yeah, or no, what it's... they see you can give someone a base tale like it's this guy who goes on adventures but that's real black and white uh it's fantastic so yeah five ducks for me too uh one final little thing here the moon child's name is also used in mathematics uh in a number theory rather uh as a perfect digit to digit invariant also known as a munchausen number it's a uh, natural number in a given number base a given number base b that is equal to the sum of its digits, digits each raised to the power of itself. For example, in base 3, there are 3, 1, 2, and 22. The term Munchausen number was coined by Dutch mathematician and software engineer Don van Berkel in 2009, as this evokes the story of Baron Munchausen raising himself up by his own ponytail <laughs> because each digit is raised by the power of itself. That's great. <laughs> Dude. Oh man, I don't understand any of that shit. No, so if you're a mathematician, <laughs> you know you're probably I'm comments probably, or something. Yeah, I really I, I stumbled through that as best as I could uh, uh, because it's all so fascinating. You got anything else, or do you want to? Uh, man, that's uh, I, I do. I could talk about our next movie. Yeah, let's let's plug that. So shit. Uh, you guys should be listening to this on a Saturday. Um, our next movie will be out November twenty third. That's a Saturday. Next Saturday. Um, the movie is Dutch. Yeah. The great movie. Ed O'Neill, uh, Ethan, Ethan Embry, Embry yeah. <clears throat> um, Mike uh, McDonald. What's his name? Not Michael, Michael McDonald. McDonald? Uh, uh, the guy is uh, Shooter McGavin. Oh, that's. Oh, shit. You know it what I'm talking about. It, yeah. Is it Michael I, McDonald? I think so. It's something. Anyway, Shooter's in it. Great movie. It's called Dutch. I'm telling you now, there's nowhere in hell you're going to be able to find this movie. Yeah, so We're kind of um, choosing this one because uh, it, we needed a, a Thanksgiving movie. Yeah, and it's it's a fun little rompy comedy uh, from the 90s. And if you can find it, watch it. Um, if you got it on VHS. If you got it on VHS. Or, or if you actually have the DVD, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, I have the VHS, so we're going to figure out a way to watch the original VHS. Yeah, we'll do it. We'll get we'll it done. We'll figure something out. Um, other than that, uh, that's all I got. That yo. was Baron, the Adventures of Baron Moochows and Terry Gilliam. Holy crow. Don't forget to uh, like our Facebook page, follow us on Spotify, all that jazz. Spotify, um, Facebook, Twitter, at Duck and the Usher. Yeah, guys, if, if you like our uh, podcast, we'd love to hear some reviews and stuff like that. So hop on the Facebook. There is a little review section so you can leave us mm-hmm. some stars and stuff like that. Wish we could change it to Ducks. Ducks. And uh, next week, you should hear uh, a massive change in audio quality, even though this sounds pretty good. Yeah, we're going to be doing some tweaks. It's going to be great, and um, we'll be able to maybe call some guests and stuff like that. That'll be fun. Well, guys, enjoy your November, and we'll see you next week. Indeed.